Hey, happy Friday morning to you all and welcome to another episode of Frankly Speaking Sports. I'm your host, Larry Frank. Hope you're all doing very well today. Uh, today we're going to talk about a couple of different subjects. A little bit later on in the show, we're going to have the great junior college head coach of Eastern Florida, Jerry, Jeremy Schulman on. If you don't know much about Jeremy, he's 257 wins and only 78 losses as a college head coach and has over 672 wins as a head coach in his career. So just a great, great basketball coach, a great person, and we'll have him on a little bit later in the show. Um, as far as People asking about some of these Arkansas basketball players and football recruits. We have nothing to report right now. There are a bunch of people they're going after, a bunch of scholarships being sent out. But until we have a definite answer from these individuals, we're not going to go ahead and just say this one might sign, that one might sign, that one might sign. We want to make sure we have the correct information for you before we go ahead and put that out there. So once that comes available, we will let you know. But, you know, I try every day to get in a good mood. And I'm always in a good mood. I come on this show. I try to be happy. I, you know, think of the NBA. They're going to be coming back soon. Yes, the NHL, they got a plan in place. They're going to be coming back soon. And I'd like to hear when already, but I'm sure that information will be revealed at the correct time. But every single day, I get more and more disgusted at Major League Baseball. And you know what? I'm going to tell everybody right now. It's not the players' fault. If anybody out there thinks that what's going on in the major leagues as far as this negotiation process is the players' fault, they are fools. And I'm going to be honest. At first, when everything was coming down the pipe, I was one that said, okay, let's be a little uh, realistic here. Yes, they make a lot of money. But when I started evaluating the situation and covering this situation as a reporter and somebody who reports the information to you, I learn more and more every day how much the owners in Major League Baseball are nothing but a bunch of freaking crooks. That's what they are. There is no better word. They are a criminal to the game of baseball. And it's sickening nauseating and just plain simply disgusting. It is completely disgusting. And let's think about this for a minute. You know, first of all, yesterday, as you all know, and we're not going to go much into detail on this, a hundred minor leaguers were cut. There's going to be a hundred more minor leaguers that are cut. So people are losing their jobs. Not just in the world, as everybody knows, but it's affecting sports as well. And at a time where these owners should be, you know, at least somewhat compassionate about what's going on, no, they only give a crap about themselves and they always prove it. And we're going to talk about this. I'm going to go in depth and I'm not going to hold any punches. And everybody that listens to my show knows I don't feed BS. I'm going to tell you like it is. Some people are going to like it. Some aren't. And I'll tell you right now, if you're a damn owner in Major League Baseball, you're not going to like what I got to say. And, you know, the first thing that I'm hearing and the one that is the most sickening out of all of this negotiation process is they are blaming the epidemic on everything that is going on. 
And, you know, this epidemic has killed a lot of people in the U.S. I believe it's over 100,000 people now, or over 101,000 people. Uh, and those that haven't been killed by it, you have a bunch more affected by it. Uh, whether they contracted it or have family members. Um, and for them to come out right now and start using this epidemic, oh, it's the safety of the players, is nothing but a piece of crap. They're full of crap. That's what the owners are. This has nothing to do with safety. And that's why I got mad at Blake Snell a couple of weeks ago when he came out with those comments. Because Blake was not wrong about the money. He was wrong about the over-dramatization of the effect from safety. We all know about the safety issues. The NBA knows it, the NHL knows it, and Major League Baseball knows it. There's no hiding that. But to come out and start saying it's a safety issue, it's a safety issue, is bullcrap. It's a money issue. All you damn owners care about is the mighty dollar. That is it. Do not use safety and COVID-19 anymore as an excuse. It's bullcrap. It's completely bullcrap. You know, and you talk about the owners, they give out these proposals that they know are crazy. You made an agreement. Owner two players back in, I believe, March, the latter part of March or whenever it was, April, that you would prorate their salaries based on the number of games played. You were thinking at that time 81, 82 games. Half a season, half a salary. What gives you the damn right to go back on these players and change it after they agreed with you. You made an agreement. You know why? It's about the money. Why should players take a pay cut so that owners don't lose money? Why don't the damn owners take a pay cut so the players don't lose money? That's what my question is. They want certain players like the Bryce Hoppers and the Cole Hamels and the people that make these big money to go from $30 million a year down to $9 million. They're talking about $21 million they want to cut out of their salary. Anybody in their right mind would think that is ludicrous. Completely ludicrous. The players are not wrong. You have never heard any of these players come out and say, we would not play more than 82 games this year. At least I haven't. If anything, I heard they're willing to play more games. You can play Saturday, you know, well, if we play more doubleheaders, we're going to lose money at the gate because we're only getting admission for one game when we're playing two games. You know what? There's an easy way to solve that, and you've been doing the, that for years. So stop using the... Damn excuses out there. You can play day-night doubleheaders. It's been done the past I don't know how many years. Especially with the Yankees-Mets. I've seen them play two different ballparks. Where they play in uh, Yankee Stadium during the day at 1 o'clock. Come back to play with a different gate at 8 o'clock uh, at uh, City Field. It's excuses. You know what? If I'm the players, I say, screw you, Major League Baseball. We won't play at all this year and let them lose all the money. Unfortunately, if they do that, the players won't get paid. So they're really not in that position. But basically, that's what I would do if I had enough money as a player. Screw you, owners. Lose your $10 billion a year, you know, if you'd rather do that. And that's the major problem right now. The, the owners don't want to lose anything. They want everything their way. And that's not what happens when you have two different sides. 
And it, it really bugs me. It, it just eats me up to see crooks like these owners. You know, these players work hard. And I know a lot of people out there go, well, these players make millions and millions and millions of dollars. They should be willing to do this. They should be willing to do that. No, that's bull crap. Are you willing? And I know some of you had to because of the times. But, you know, if I'm making a certain amount of money to do a job, that's the money I expect to make. That's not greed. Greed is saying, to me, greed is holding out your last year of your contract, not living it up, up to it like a man or woman, and working for what you agreed on. That is wrong. But Major League Baseball and the owners agreed with each of these players on a specific contract. And that's done when you sign with a team. Now, Understandably, we are going through something in this world that we have never gone through. So the, the major league owners come back and say, fine, we want you to prorate your contracts based on the number of games played. And the players say, okay. They agreed. Both sides agreed. You know, right now we are wasting so much damn time out there when we could be playing baseball games. Even yesterday, the uh, state of Texas opened up stands for 25% of that they're allowed in stadiums now. So if the Rangers were playing in Arlington or the Astros were playing in Houston, they can right now... According to the government guidelines there in Texas, uh, they can go ahead and have 25% of that stadium filled with fans. And I'm going to tell you something right now. You could go ahead right now and tell baseball fans that 100% of the stadium could be filled and they're not going to sell it out because people are still skeptical about what's going on. So you're still going to have those fans who don't go. Okay? But it's time to come together as one. And, you know, for someone who's in the past, and I will say it and admit I was wrong, has said that Major League Baseball owners, I thought at some points were right. I am deadly wrong. I am totally against the owners. What the owners are doing right now is they are tarnished in the, what I consider the best game, the best sport in America. And they are tarnishing it to a point where if they don't get their crap together, they're not going to have anybody watching these games when they come back. Nobody. They are tarnishing it to a point where people think they're nothing but greedy crooks. And I'm telling you right now, it's only a matter of weeks before everybody in America tells baseball, and it's not because of the players, it's because of the owners, they go, screw you. We'll watch the NHL and the NBA. We'll be back right after this. Hey, my money restaurant tip of the day, it's all about having pride and passion. So many times I speak about that. You look at people that are successful. They have a sense of passion about what they do. They love what they're doing. And they do it to the best of their ability. And they have pride. You've heard me speak about it often. Pride to me, I've always tried to break it down. P for perseverance. R for respect. I for intelligence. D for desire. E for enthusiasm. When you got a sense of pride about yourself, when I say intelligence, I mean making intelligent decisions in your life. You make good decisions, good things happen. You make bad decisions, bad things happen. So it's up to you to develop that pride and passion in what you do in life. And you have it, you will have S-U-C-C-E-S-S. Success! I can even spell that. Give me an A, baby. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking Sports. As always, the motivational tip of the day by our buddy Dick Vitale. I want to remind you all, 
that you can follow us on many, many different platforms. First of all, we have a new YouTube channel where you can listen to all our podcasts, all our interviews are broken down as well, so you can listen to some great past interviews that we've done and some future ones that we'll be doing, as well as the one today with Jeremy Schulman. Um, so go to the YouTube channel. It's Frankly Speaking Sports. Go ahead and subscribe. Don't worry. It's free. You hit subscribe and you will be a member of Frankly Speaking Sports uh, YouTube channel. Now, not only can you listen to it by going to YouTube, the great thing about YouTube is you can go in front of your TV. You go to the, if it's a smart TV, you go to YouTube. You go ahead and type in Frankly Speaking Sports. Now, you will have to type in the word sports if you want to watch these shows. You go ahead down there, you pick uh, the football field for Frankly Speaking Sports, and then it'll have all the videos and all the podcasts up there. So you can, ba- this is great, baby. You get to sit in your couch, you can have a brewski, eat some popcorn, and listen to Frankly Speaking Sports, all our interviews and all our podcasts. What better way to live? Also, follow us on Twitter. We do have a Twitter account, at Larry Frankis. That's with the U.S. at the end. We try to retweet as much information as possible so you can get updated. We put up podcasts on that uh, and our interviews as well. Also, Larry, uh, go to uh, Frankly Speaking Sports on the Facebook page. One of the fastest growing groups out there. We will play these podcasts going further on a nightly basis. So now you can listen to our podcast on Facebook as well and get all the latest updated news. Have your friends join. Have your family join. I don't care. Have your dog hit the button with a paw and join. Whatever you got to do, make sure you join. Ladies and gentlemen, at this time on the Frankly Speaking Sports Hotline, I'd like to welcome a gentleman who is 257 wins, 78 losses as a college head coach, and has a career uh, winning record of over 672 games as a head coach. Please welcome Jeremy Schulman. Jeremy, how are you doing today? Larry, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm doing great. Well, great to hear that. Let let me ask you right off the bat, Jeremy. You know, everybody hears about the effect of COVID-19 coronavirus as far as, you know, obviously everybody hears about how what's going on in the world from a society. But when it comes to sports and athletics, they hear a lot about the professional sports, a lot about the top Division I schools. Why don't you let our listeners know about the effect it's been having at the junior college level? Absolutely. No, that's a great question. And, you know, first and foremost, let me say, I mean, this is obviously a very serious disease. You know, it's a very serious virus. And, you know, at all levels, just like all, all levels, as, as much as we love sports and as much as we love, uh, you know, basketball and as much as I love coaching, obviously they're very, you know, there's more important things out there and, and, and the health of people, you know, nationwide and worldwide is obviously at paramount importance. But um, in addition to that, obviously it, it's affected us at the junior college level you know, quite greatly. Uh, you know, the season was cut short just like the NCAA tournament. Our national tournament for junior college was cut short. We didn't get to play it this year. Um, coming into this year, we were very fortunate. We had made five straight trips to the national tournament, which is held in Hutchinson, Kansas. And we'd had uh, you know, three straight years finishing in the top eight in the country. And so but this year, finishing, uh, you know, getting cut short. And then, uh, you know, we've tried to mirror, at the junior college level, we tried to mirror uh, what the Division One, uh, you know, I guess standards and, and protocol for, you know, COVID-19 has been throughout. And so we had a dead period as well, and we were off the road recruiting. And, uh, you know, just like Division One coaches, we had to start doing our recruiting from uh, FaceTimes and Zoom and uh, watching lots and lots of film of recruits and, uh, you know, it was definitely a definitely a different world, but it's uh, it's become a lot more digital, a lot more uh, finding different ways to communicate with our guys. Now, Jeremy, from a junior college perspective, is it more difficult to recruit than it is for a you know for a Division One? Because I would think you have to look at 
a lot more players than maybe, you know, where the, these powerhouse Division One schools, they have a good idea of what they're going after just from media attention and all that. How much more difficult is it at the junior college level? You know, Larry, I think it's very difficult. Yeah, I do. Um, and, and to me, what makes it the most difficult is you have so much roster turnover every year uh, where we've got guys for one or at most two years we're losing at least half our team every single season. And so we're having to replace half our team. And so it's not just in the, in the number of players we're having to sign and bring in, but we don't always know what we've got returning. Uh, you know, most years our teams are led by our sophomores and our sophomores move on and graduate and go on to division one schools. Uh, this past year, for example, we had three players that are moving on to SEC schools and, uh, you know, and so some of the freshmen we have returning are, I think, are outstanding players, but they haven't necessarily, you know, proven it. They haven't been the, the go-to guys. They haven't been the leaders of the team yet. And so, in addition to trying to fill, you know, uh, you know, uh, seven or eight scholarships with newcomers, we're also trying to figure out, well, you know, which of our freshmen are going to be able to make that jump? Which of our freshmen are going to be able to, you know, be the go-to guys and the leaders? Or do we need to recruit over the top of any guys? Do we need to? Compliment guys, you know, and so we're trying to project what our puzzle will look like, who our potential starters will look like with a lot less information. You know, when you're coaching at, at Michigan State, you know, you've got a pretty good idea, you know, when Cash is, Cash Winston's returning, he's going to be a pretty dang good player and you can piece the team around those guys. And uh, it's just a lot more uncertainty and uh, every junior college coach has a different philosophy on how they recruit, uh, you know, how much talent versus role players they want to take. But Uh, we're talking to Jeremy Schulman, head basketball coach at Eastern Florida. So, Jeremy, you would, you mentioned a great point about you. You know, you lose these players after either a a year or b after two years. Um, what when they come into you, these players after they get out of high school? What is your goal for them? Yeah, that's another great question. I think I think our goals are kind of three pronged. And the first one is we want to make, we want to help our players when they come in out of high school. We want to help them become better human beings. And that's very important to me because there's so much more important things than, than basketball, so much more important things than athletics in general. And uh, we've got a certain culture here that we, we believe in and doing things the right way and treating people the right way and, uh, you know, trying to make the world a little better place. And that's first and foremost, we want all of our guys to, to we want them to help. We want, we want to help them mature, to help them find their way, to help them, uh, you know, become better in all shapes, ways, and forms. And obviously, second, you know, we want our guys to you know, get a lot better academically. Uh, a lot of our players, not all of them, we do get some qualifiers, we get some Division One transfers, but a lot of our players are talented enough to go Division One right out of high school, but they don't have academics. You know, they fell short of the SAT score, they fell short with their GPA, and so we're teaching you know, we're trying to help teach guys to, you know, learn the importance of academics and learn the importance of what getting a degree will, will do for their lives and for their families' lives. And uh, you know, that's another thing that's just really important. And, of course, the third thing is we want, we want to really help their basketball careers. You know, we want to teach them the game. We want to teach them to, to you know, know how to win and, and play at the – be successful at the college level and to prepare them to be professionals after that. And we've been – very fortunate. And with this past year, before COVID-19 shut everything down, we had 19 former players playing professional basketball, you know, just this past year alone, and something we take a whole lot of pride in. So, uh, so that's kind of, you know, those, those, three, those three aspects, we want to see a lot of growth for each of our guys. Now, Coach, let me ask you this. How much, and I ask you this because you get a lot of kids, female athletes and uh, male athletes, they come out of high school and some of them end up right away, whether it's through scholarship or whatever, they get thrown into these Division I powerhouses and they're just like in a shell shock when they get there or overwhelmed might be the correct word. You know, you talked about um, these individuals, some of them coming there. Obviously, it goes without saying because they want to better their grades and get into a Division I school. But how much of it is also to help them with the social aspect of things, adjusting to what they're going to get into if and when they do go to Division One. 
I think that's a great point. I think that's a great point. I think there's a lot of that um, because at our level, there's a lot. We're a lot more hands-on. There's a lot more teaching. I think you can really help people a lot at this level, at the junior college level. Where at the big time division one level, let's be honest, it's a business. You know, it's it's a it's a multi-million, multi-billion-dollar business, and coaches are paid a lot of money, and there's there's e rights and and you know because you've got to win, and so it's a business. And so if you come in as a freshman. You know, I think it gets lost about the transition from being a high school kid to being a young adult and and learning to you know the, how to get in socially and all this, and it becomes too much just about hey, what can you do for me? Can you win? Can you win games, et cetera? And at our level, you know, we don't have that same level of pressure. You know, we obviously we, we we've got internal pressure to strive to be great. We have internal pressure to try to win a national championship every year. But at the end of the day, our goals are to help these you know, kids become young men. And I think that really helps their social transition. And so by the time they leave our place to move on to a Division One school, I think they're a whole lot more prepared to be successful. Now, Coach, what is the transition for these players from JUCO to uh, junior college to uh, Division One? as far as I would think you have a lot of communication with a lot of different coaches in Division One because I know a lot of the coaches do look at the junior college level to yep. get some of their players. Absolutely. And it's different depending on just in junior college, it's a lot like Division One. There's different levels of junior college. You know, just like in Division One, you've got low major schools, you've got your mid major D1 schools, you've got your high major. The same thing in junior college. You've got your low major D1 JUCOs, you've got your mid major D1 JUCOs, and you have your high major D1 JUCOs. And you know we're very grateful we're a high major JUCO, and because of that, you know Division One schools recruit our program very, very heavily, and we've got connections all over the country. Uh, we do a pro day uh, in the fall, which is an idea we got from uh, from John Calipari, who I was fortunate enough to work with with uh, USA Basketball under 19 national team a few years ago, and. Uh, we do a pro day, and we get 75 different Division One schools there watching our guys. And this is in the preseason before we even start our you know, start our preseason schedule and our non-conference schedule. But uh, you know, guys get recruited. But uh, honestly, Larry, it's, it, it's great for the guys, but it's something that makes our job, in my mind, even tougher because the, the end goal is. And I love junior college basketball. This will be my 14th year coaching junior college. My 11th year as a head coach coming up this upcoming year. But the end goal is not junior college basketball. No kid grows up saying, I can't wait to have a great career junior college basketball. You know, their, their goal is to play at University of Florida or Florida State or University of Georgia or, you know, whoever else. And so when they've got all these schools recruiting them and they know this isn't the end goal and there's still, you know, there's some, there's some worry, there's some stress about, you know, what the recruitment's going to be like. Who's going to recruit them? Will they have the right scholarship after they're done here at Eastern Florida? Uh, you know, so kids are already worried about the future. When we preach so much about being very, very, uh, very much in the present, be great in the present, enjoy the journey, enjoy the moment, enjoy the day. And so it's something I think that makes our level difficult because it's very hard to stay focused on the present when you're constantly worried about getting recruited for the future. We are speaking to Jerry, Jeremy Schulman, head basketball coach at Eastern Florida. He's on the Frankly Speaking Sports Hotline with us. Jeremy, why is it that junior college players don't get it? I mean, junior college in general, why don't they get enough recognition for the players that they have developed in the past? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know if I have a, a, a perfect answer for you outside of so much in life is about perception. And for whatever reason, and maybe rightly earned back in the day, I don't know, but there, there's become a perception, even when I was growing up, that junior college basketball uh, had to do with renegades. You know, it had to do with problems. It, junior college basketball had to do with, you know, players that were, you know, had, had to have second chances or were in trouble, whether it's academics or whatever else. And so that perception has stuck with junior college over the years. Even though, I mean, there's just, I mean, there's, uh, you know, we looked at the list the other day. There's there's hundreds of NBA players from junior college over the, over the years, over history, and there's been some absolute great ones. You know, like Sean Marion and and Steve Francis, and 
I mean, it's just it, it just goes on and on. And uh, but I think the perception has been that, and and I think it takes a lot to change a perception. And one of the things that could change the perception that we haven't gotten to the point yet is uh, with media. And if ESPN, for example, or CBS Sports, for example, would pick up and start televising junior college basketball games, people would start saying, holy cow, it's an incredible level, incredible levels of talent, uh, great discipline, great coaching. And then they would start seeing that, wow, this is not what I perceive junior college to be at first. But until you know, there's something that can change that narrative of, of a negative perception, uh, you know, it's going to still be perceived as a, you know, a different level that is not very well understood by the you know, mainstream uh, sports fan. Now, Coach, do you find, uh, you know, you talked about after two years, a lot of these uh, kids have an opportunity, if they're very good, to go to Division One. Do you find a lot of these players if they're really getting to be that good and developed, actually go into some of these independent leagues out there, like the D-League and leagues like that? It could definitely happen. There was actually a junior college player this year, uh, a kid out of uh, a junior college in Illinois named Jaden Scrub, a very highly rated player, very, very talented player. And Jaden Scrub signed with Louisville, uh, who's rated as number one junior college player in the country this year. And he recently decided to not attend he decided to skip the rest of college after JUCO and, and turn pro. So he's, he's eligible for the NBA draft. And if he doesn't get drafted, he's apparently already been in contact with that G League developmental series as well. So uh, I think you'll see some of that. Uh, but I hope that a lot – I'm a big fan of education. Uh, I'm a big fan of getting a degree. And I'm, I'm hopeful that the majority of junior college players, even the most talented ones, still – the value in, uh, in in following it through, trying to get that degree, in addition to play professional basketball. Because as we both know, even if you're a great professional basketball player in anything outside the league, you know, your timeline for being a pro player is still very, very short. Right. And you've got the rest of your life that you've got to, you know, you've got to do something with your life. You've got to make money. You've got to have a job that, that you enjoy. And you've got to support your family. And yeah, there's a lot to it. Even if you even if you do play professional basketball, there's a lot to it after that. And so, I hope that other coaches are like myself and are really preaching the you know the, the benefit and advantage of sticking out and getting that degree, even if you are you know even if your goal is to play professional. Now, with that said, what you just said, and it led me right into my next question. And I know you go through the as you mentioned earlier in this interview about. The, you know, every year or two, you feel like you're just switching teams because, you know, it's a two-year college. What is your belief about the NCAA, when I say NCAA, I'm talking Division One about the rule, the one-and-done rule in college basketball? Well, I, you know, I might be in the minority on this a little bit, Larry. I really, really might. And because I, I look at the bigger picture, and, and there's always going to be a couple of players that, that define the norm. There's always going to be a Kobe Bryant. There's always going to be a LeBron James. But I personally, I am not a fan of, and I have not ever been a fan of, of players going straight to the NBA right out of high school. Um, I, I look at football, I look at, at college football and the immense you know, success that college football's had. I look at the incredible product they've got. I look at the incredible product that the NFL has, has got as well, just from a talent standpoint and people and players coming in mentally and physically ready uh, to perform at that level. And I just don't see the absolute need to be able to go to the NBA right out of, out of high school uh, when you're talking about the overall product, when you're talking about what's best for the NBA, which is its organization, which has to look out for the NBA, what's best for the NBA. Uh, you know, there are options if you don't want to go to college. Great, don't go to college. You can still go overseas and play professional basketball. You don't want to be in school. Uh, I do like that the G League has set up you know, their elite talent prospect uh, you know, route as well, where you can make $150,000 or, or, $150, or up. So it's not saying everyone needs to go to college. There's a lot of players that don't want to go to college, don't want to be in a classroom, want to make money right away, don't see the value in education, and that's fine. Um, but for the for the benefit of the NBA, 
basketball and for the benefit of 90, in my mind, 99% of all the athletes. I don't, I, I, honestly, if it was up to me, I would do it a little bit more like football or like baseball where, um, you know, maybe even baseball where you can go right out of high school, but then if you go college, you've got to be in for a number of years, you know, or, or I would have it a two-year rule instead of a one-year rule. So I, I am very different than the rest. You know, and I know I'm in the minority on that uh, opinion, but I think it makes the, the NBA better. I think it makes college better. I think, you know, the kids that don't want me in college, you still have a chance to go make money in the G League or make money overseas. So I think it really is a win-win all the way around. Now, Coach, a couple more questions before you, I let you go here. Um, let's say I'm a recruit. You're recruiting me. What style of coach is a player getting when they come play for Coach Shulman? Well, the number one thing, without any doubt, is you're going to get you're going to get someone who's going to care about you, and I think that supersedes anything basketball, anything about the Division One scholarships, anything about winning. Because you know we've been successful in all those areas. That's great, but you're going to have someone that truly cares about you. You're going to have somebody that is going to be there forever for you. You know, you're your family, and I, and I mean it, and I preach it, and, uh, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be coaching a long time. I still I still feel I'm very, very young at 40 years old, but I've been coaching since 1998. I've been coaching since I was a senior in high school at 18 years old, and I still keep in touch with my players throughout all the years. And, you know, so I think that's the biggest benefit. If someone comes to play for Eastern Florida, if someone comes to play for Jeremy Shulman, you're going to get someone that truly cares about who you are as a person and is invested in you as a human being. And we'll be invested when you need, you know, help down the road. You know, it's not just during the couple of years that you're here. It's not just during the couple of years after that when you're Division One. Uh, you can reach out to me anytime. You know, ten years from now, fifteen years from now, twenty years from now. And to me, to me, that is what separates us from anybody else out there. Now, Coach, last question. I gotta ask you this before I let you go. Absolutely. You've coached for eleven years in. Uh, I believe the the JUCO ranks, right, in the last 11 years. Um, yeah. A, it's a two-part question. A, have you ever been offered a Division One school coaching job? And two, if in the future, if you're offered one, is it something you would consider or would you rather just stay in junior college? No, not at all. I know. I lived there 36 years, so I know exactly how that is. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Coach, I want to thank you so very much for joining us today on Frankly Speaking Sports. I really enjoyed having you. Hey, Larry, thank you so much. And again, I'm very thankful that you reached out to me. 
All right, you stay safe now. That was Jeremy Schulman, head basketball coach at Eastern Florida. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking Sports. I'm your host, Larry Frank. And what a terrific interview with Jeremy Schulman, head basketball coach at Eastern Florida. I mean, he has 672 wins. His junior college coaching record is 257 wins and 78 losses. Just an incredible, incredible young man. And I guarantee you down the road, somebody, and I know they've already recognized this guy for the great talent that he has, but you're going to see this guy, if he wants, go to Division One down the road. And I really hope I do. I'd love to see him go there and just conquer Division One. Um because he's going to be successful wherever he goes. You know, talking about college sports, and we'll stay on the theme of college sports, we did mention this a little yesterday, too, and there's a lot of things that go on in the last couple of weeks that we talk about repetitively because things are happening every single day that changes. The world changes every day. The way we look at the world changes every day, and the same thing is with sports in at the college level as well. And if you didn't hear at the beginning of the show and you're joining us late, uh, the state of Texas, and there's going to be more states that follow, has now come up with the uh, government has said that all sporting events, stands in general, can now have 25% capacity. So if you have a 20,000 seat stadium, you can sit 5,000 people right now in that stadium at a sporting event, at a college event. You know, a lot of these big power five schools, especially in the SEC, um, they, they sit 80,000, 90,000 people. So that's still about twenty to 25,000 people that would be allowed at games if, if other states follow in the same suit which I think they will. And that leads me to my point, and I know we talked about this yesterday as well, is I asked, we did a poll on Frankly Speaking Sports uh, Facebook page about if you were allowed, if the authorities allowed you into a ball game based on the current standard the world is in right now, would you attend the game or would you be comfortable attending the game or would you not be? And an arousing 75%, that 75% of the people said they would go to the games. They're comfortable. And I think that's just a matter of people just tired of being in. You know, we, we've been pretty much held hostage in our own uh, environment, in our own houses because of this coronavirus, and with obvious reasons and good cause, but people are ready to get out. And you're starting to see more and more open. And, you know, a lot of people go, well, Larry, will there be fans in the stands in college uh, football? There's no doubt. You know, we've done interviews this week and we've heard people talk about it. I believe it was Ty Richardson from ESPN Arkansas uh, yesterday said the amount of money that you're losing in college football without those fans is incredible. You're talking billions of dollars. You know, it's almost not worth it for them to have a college football season. Yes, they get the, uh, a lot, you know, they get TV rights and stuff like that, but some of these schools don't. And uh, it's just amazing right now. And right now, people are greedy. People are greedy. We talked about it in the earlier segment about baseball greedy. Well, you know, they might be the greediest, but there's a list of greed out there. And, you know, these college athletic departments are now, you know, again, I say it. I think everybody has safety on the mind, but it's not their number one reasoning right now for doing things. It's going to become, you know, I'm sorry if you guys and ladies think that these universities are going to think safety over financials, you're wrong. Even though you're right, it should be done that way. 
it's not going to be because now you're talking about a lot of these Division I schools losing their entire athletic departments. Now there's a lot more at stake now. They already lost the tournament, the NCAA tournament, which is one of the highest exposures for a university that you can have during the season, the March Madness. Then you lose baseball season, which isn't a huge money maker, but they have TV rights. They're on the SEC networks, the ACC networks, Pac-12 networks, and all those different networks. So they get money from there. They had the College World Series, and now college football, which makes up, what, 75% if not more of an athletic department's revenue being, you know, not having fans is not going to happen. I'm sorry. They are not going to let their athletic departments falter. It would take a major disaster between now and college football season for them to have to not play football and not play in front of fans. Now, the question comes up, how many fans? Well, that's not me. I'm not a medical expert, and I have never, ever claimed to be one. But, you know, if the authorities are going to let it, the states are going to let it. And you're going to find out the universities are going to do it. Um, you know, and the only reason they put, you know, it's like Major League Baseball. We talked about that earlier, and I do not want to go back on that really right now. But I will tell you, the only reason these safety protocols are being put in place by colleges, Major League Baseball, NHL, NBA, and I'm sorry to say this, but it's not because of the safety of the athletes. It's because of the liabilities these organizations and universities can face if they're not put in. If they didn't have to put them in and just can start right now, they would do it. But it's the liability part of somebody coming back and saying, you did not protect us or put any type of plan or protocol in place to protect us, so we are now suing you for millions and millions and millions of dollars. That is the only damn reason why these protocols are in place. If you think the Major League Baseball owners care about the players, you're full of it. They couldn't care less. They only care about making their money. Just like these universities. And I'll tell you what, I know some great athletic directors out there at all different levels of college uh, college sports. I know, and they're great guys, they're very care and ladies, and they're great, great people. But at the end of the day, they're talking about, in their eyes, if they lose that university, if they lose that athletic department, they have lost everything but one thing, their life. They basically, in their eyes, they lost their life. The only thing is they're still breathing. And, you know, everybody out there has a very rude awakening if they think anything differently than that. Because it is a money game. Even these big corporations now... It's becoming a money game. And it's always been about money. It's always been about profit. But now in a time of adversity, and we always talk about this. You hear a lot of this on this show. It's how people act at the time of adversity that dictates whether they're a leader or not. Rob Manfred ain't a leader. He's proving that. While you see other people are leading from the front. You know, the basketball players, NBA, they pay their players, I believe, um, one of them, either the NHL or NBA, but one paid their players um, throughout the season already. And the other one cut them just the amount of games they lost. So you're seeing that's the difference in adversity. And right now, a lot of people are struggling with the adversity that's facing this world. And they're not coming through with flying colors. A lot of them out there are losing everything. And you're going to see very quickly here in the next month that these universities 
will not allow it to happen. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to you, Frankly Speaking Sports. Uh, this is your host, Larry Frank. want to remind you, as a lot of you already know, but let's make sure we inform other people of all the different ways to follow Frankly Speaking Sports. Obviously on Twitter, at Larry Frankis. If you have a Twitter account, go to Twitter, Follow me, and you will get some of the latest updates. And uh, actually, I call them retweets from some of the top people in the sports world as far as what's going on in the news and the world of sports. Also, want to remind you, we have our own YouTube channel. You can watch or listen to, actually, you, you can listen to any of our audio videos um, on our YouTube channel, which is Frankly Speaking Sports. We have past and all future ones will be on there as well. Also, follow us on our Frankly Speaking Facebook sports group, one of the fastest growing. If you have friends that are not members of that group yet, please share that message with them and have them join us. We give you the latest, quickest updated sports news in the nation. I get it. I pass it on to you. We also do all our interviews on there, our podcasts on there. Um, any advertising we do, we do on there. So please, please, please tell your friends to join us. If you're enjoying us this much, go ahead and let them enjoy us just as well. You know, next week... Uh, we have another special guest this Monday as we have Tim Britton. Tim Britton is the beat writer for the New York Mets. So for all you New York Mets fans out there, we will have Tim Britton from The Athletic on this Monday live and to talk about some baseball and hopefully, you know, something here in the near future is going to happen that's on the promising side for baseball. So I want everybody to go out there, enjoy your weekend. Things are starting to open up. And we'll see you back here Monday on another episode of Frankly Speaking Sports.